Hi, and welcome to Extra Serving, a Nation's Restaurant News podcast. I'm your host, Holly Petrie. This week, Chick-fil-A announced it will be upping its number of mobile drive through lanes. Chick-fil-A has had a tough time opening a new unit because towns and cities know what it means for them. Lots of traffic and disruptions. These new mobile lanes could take the pressure off municipalities that have had to work around the long lines at Chick-fil-A drive throughs which I'm sure Sam will have a lot to say on. Also, Toast got a new CEO this week. In light of the 99 cent fee, the company is seemingly rebranding from its C-suite down. What does this mean for the restaurant technology brand and it's just smoke and mirrors? Finally, Taco Bell is taking Taco Tuesday to the next level. After Taco John's was quote, bullied into giving up their rights to the phrase, Taco Bell is inviting 20,000 Mexican restaurants across the country to participate in the biggest Taco Tuesday celebration ever. Is, this part of, is part of this to cover the fact that Taco Bell was painted in a bad light amid its tactics to win the war against Taco John's? This week's guest is Mark Eason, former Firebird CEO and current CEO of Hickory Tavern. Now it's time to introduce my co-hosts. I'm Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. And I'm Leanne Sinsmeister, Managing Editor of Nation's Restaurant News. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. We're all matching a little bit. So if you are on the video version, we're all wearing shades of red, varying shades. So we definitely coordinated this. Not really, but we can pretend we did. I wish I could say it was like charitable or something, you know, like that red charity, uh, you know, red every, every listen and every view. You know that one red charity? <laughs> we'll donate one penny for every listen to charity. Is that coming out of your wallet? Nope, that's there? not true. I'm trying to do the math on what we typically do in listens times 0.01. Anyway, I'll do the we math We don't later. need to. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do that out loud on the podcast. <laughs> no, no, we're good. Um, before we get into our talking about our news, I want to hear, Sam, about the newest things on Create. Like, what's happening in Create Land? What do we need to know? Not much. Um, just kidding. Of course, we've got lots coming up. We So... We are T minus three and a half weeks until create the experience in Palm Springs, October 1st through 3rd. You've heard us talking about it all year, and now we are in the final stretch. I can tell you this is a good problem for us, not a great problem for you. Uh, our hotel block is almost gone. Um, so if you have been on the fence on attending create in Palm Springs, go do that now because, um, well, let's just say it's highly in demand. And that's, like I said, a good problem to have. Um, but it just means that you need to, you know, motivate yourself to go and register and get your hotel. Uh, as we've mentioned, it is free. If you're a restaurant leader, this is a free event. Uh, we want you to come and learn and grow and meet some cool people. And that all is going to be happening. Uh, and you know, we've mentioned this before, I think, but I'm very excited to host on the first day of create the investment summit. So if you are an emerging restaurant leader, meaning basically if you have less than a hundred locations, and if you are looking for capital to help grow your business, we are hosting an event exclusively for you. It is going to be at the top of an actual mountain, Mount San Jacinto in Palm Springs. We're going to take a tram up to the top of the mountain. I think it's 8,000 plus feet. And uh, we got it. There's a facility there where we're going to host some educational panels and some networking roundtables. We have currently eight investors joining us, including uh, names that you are no doubt familiar with, like Savory Fund and Capital Spring. Uh, and we have um, dozens of emerging restaurant brands already signed up. This is a limited uh, opportunity. We'd only have so many seats because of the facility at the top of the mountain. So if that sounds like something you want to be a part of, I would highly recommend, again, that you register register soon. To be a part of the Investment Summit, you go to create.nrn.com, register for Create. Again, it's free. 
And then while you're doing that, there will be a box that you can check to express your interest in the investment summit, which also is free. But in all of these things, space is limited. So um, again, T minus three and a half weeks, go register today, get your hotel, book your flight, uh, join us in Palm Springs. We're going to have a good time. I will say there are a lot of good speakers. And let me emphasize a lot. As the person who's been making the graphics, there are a lot of people speaking. You will not be disappointed. You'll find everything and anything that you want there. It's definitely a good roster of speakers. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's not, you know, we, we, we recognize that um, there's a lot of events going on out there and, and all great for the industry. Um, we tried to really curate the list of speakers to be unique, um, you know, to be some, some voices that you don't typically hear from. And also Create is really tailored to the small and mid-sized chain that is in growth mode. And so while major brand CEOs are always great to hear from and learn from, um, we tried to tailor content to those small and mid-sized chains. And so, for example, our Founders Forum on October 2nd is a main stage session with uh, Nathaniel Rue of Sweetgreen, Jason McGowan of Crumble Cookies, Tim McHenry of Cooper's Hawk, and Lauren Bailey of Postino Wine Cafe. And just using those four as an example, they are all founders of those respective brands, still actively involved. The largest of those is, of course, Crumble Cookies with... Are they at 20,000 locations now? I think maybe 30,000 locations. Yeah. Uh, just right. in, Seems fine. Something like that. I, yeah, let's just say that. Um, and uh, But, you know, all, all of them are generally less than 1,000 locations at the very least. Um, but in truth, the three that are not crumble are all in, you know, less than 100 locations or maybe 100 to 150 in Sweetgreen's case. The, the point is, is they're going to be bringing a very uh, – personal inside look at what it means to continue to build this brand that you have started, how to continue to be a leader of it, how to be a good steward of it as you grow and scale. What are the challenges that come your way? But continue to be the face of that organization. Um, we hear a lot that founders are the best people to learn from because they really are the heart and soul of a brand. So we have a lot of founders involved on this agenda. Um, and those four are just one of the examples of the sessions featuring founders. So Again, I think there's a lot you're going to learn from Create. By the way, it's just a good time. I mean, it's Palm Springs for crying out loud. Barring the second hurricane in 85 years, uh, you know, the weather's going to be beautiful. Um, you know, I, I am personally cursed with travel this year. So I apologize if there's like a mega fire or earthquake or whatever. Um, but there's about a 99.9% .9 chance that it's going to be 85 and sunny in Palm Springs. Come enjoy the weekend. I'm coming early so I can enjoy the weekend with my wife there. It's Palm Springs is awesome. Anyway, do I need to give more reasons to come to create? There's no more reasons. It's free. It's beautiful. Great speakers. You're going to have a good time. Come join us. Create.nrn.com. I think one of your uh, points in your uh, social media interview, which or social media speaking to the audience that you did is that, uh, there's going to be a lot of margaritas there. It's Margaritaville. There's going to be a lot of margaritas. So, I mean, I feel like that's that sells it enough. And and we should say, um, rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett, uh, of course, proprietor of Margaritaville and of the Margaritaville spirit. And to all of you parrot heads out there, what better way to honor him and recognize the vibe of Jimmy Buffett than by going to Margaritaville Resort and having a good time and learning while you're at it? But also margaritas. Margaritas and margaritas. But also margaritas. 
And I really, I know it's not true, but I really hoped the pool was in the shape of a margarita glass. I know that's not the case, but I was really hoping, like a guitar or something. I was really hoping for a cool pool shape, which I know you've been there, Sam, and it's not. I can tell you this. It's a beautiful pool. I can tell you this. It, it is not a boring circle. I'll give you that. <laughs> Ooh, However, teaser. <laughs> it is, as far as I can tell, not in the shape of anything else. It's just not a circle. Interesting. So it's more like a blob. Come to yeah, Palm sorry. Springs to find out what the pool is shaped like. Yeah. yeah, great point. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about Chick Fil A, which I know Sam, you love the brand, and we talk about it. Um, but Chick Fil A is now increasing its number of mobile drive-through lanes, which is a big deal because the chain recently came out and said that these were really successful in cutting down the time in the way that it took to go through a drive-through. And as we've talked about, Chick Fil A drive-throughs are busy. It's kept them from opening in some locations because the municipalities are like, we don't want these lines. Sam, you've talked about your own experience at Chick-fil-A, how they have people in lines and there's three lines and it's crazy. And so what do you guys think about this new foray into these mobile lines for Chick-fil-A that they're unwrapping so many of them? I think that it's 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 kind of just formalizing what uh, uh, what they're kind of already doing. Um, and I don't know if my, my local Chick-fil-A is part of the test they've been doing, but the experience that we do with our local Chick-fil-A is we order on our phone, we pull into one of two drive-through lanes. There are um, outside order takers who are um, taking orders on tablets. And then we tell them we placed a mobile order. They find our name in the system. And then we move along as if we had just given it to a speaker box. Um, and so I think this is kind of formalizing that and, and taking out that order taker. This is basically uh, just giving it some infrastructure where you're going to drive around, you're going to scan a QR code and then um, get your food. I mean, yes, this is again, uh, a good problem to have for Chick-fil-A, which is that their drive-throughs are just absolutely bananas. And it's, I've always compared it to like air, air, uh, airport, um, air Air traffic control. control where you have yeah, you have lots of people who are out there kind of, you know, go this way, go this way. Um, and input and output or uh, sorry, ingress and egress, uh, I think are the official terms, <laughs> is is tricky because you got to like circle. There's two lanes circling the whole restaurant and then you got to get around and you got to get out. It's 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 chaos, to be honest. And and that's not just at the lunch or dinner rush. That's at all hours of the day. Um, and and but Chick-fil-A is so good at uh, at managing this chaos organizing this chaos and helping to make things move smoothly, comparatively and efficiently. Um, and so this is just that, right? This is another part in that. And as more and more people are going to want to order their food uh, from their mobile device, and if more and more people are going to not want to sit in that drive through for can be 20 minutes, um, at least I have sat there for 20 minutes before because of how many cars are in it then they're going to choose this option and this is going to be the most efficient way to get around. But, but man, I mean, they, I can't imagine how big their engineering team is to figure out these things because you've got so many issues to figure out from spacing the, you know, the plot, the real estate, the ingress and out, uh, egress and ingress, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, so anyway, yes, kudos to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, this is one of, many, many, many new mobile prototypes that Chick-fil-A has launched in recent years. When our colleague Alicia yesterday said, oh, Chick-fil-A is expanding their mobile through prototype or system 
my first thought was, wow, that was fast. But this is not one of the three prototypes that Chick-fil-A launched earlier this summer. This, in fact, is one that launched a couple of years ago that I had just totally forgotten about because they've done so many other cool things since then. Uh, and so not only is there the massive and crazy smart engineering team that Sam's talking about, there's that times like a dozen because they're doing this in so many different ways in so many different places. And they're catering to like, yes, they're catering to, in this case, the families that just want to get in, drive in, get their order, get out. But in New York, they're catering to people who are walking everywhere. In Atlanta, they've got, you know, their four-lane drive under the kitchen prototype that they're testing. So Chick-fil-A is really focused on all of their consumers. How can we best consume this, best serve this consumer? We know it'll be a different than how we serve this other consumer somewhere else. And Chick-fil-A has always been one of the top performing drive through restaurant brands, but that hasn't stopped them from trying to do even better. And I say it every time, but things like this are how they manage to be one of the five biggest restaurant chains every year, even though they're only open six days a week. This is how, this is how they get more customers through uh, just by constantly innovating their prototypes, their drive throughs all the different ways you can get Chick-fil-A. Well, what I think is so interesting about this is that this is the way that I think drive throughs should be. This seems like the most efficient drive through way is to just tell them your name, scan it and move forward. But also what I like about this is that you can use your rewards because you're on open, you're going on your phone. It's complicated to go up to somebody say, here's my rewards number here, scan this QR code, whatever. But like when you already order on your phone, it's in there. You don't have to scan anything. You don't have to go. And I think that's what's really important about this too, is that they're getting more loyalty app users and the users are, us are, the users are using uh, the app more. And that's what Chick-fil-A wants. They want their app to be super, super popular. And the more people who are coming to the drive-thru are using it. Well, last thing I'll say about all of this too, um, related to Chick-fil-A and technology, um, yesterday, our our friend of the magazine, TJ Shire, posted on LinkedIn um, about uh, go visiting a Texas Chick-fil-A and a robot delivered him his food. And this was in the morning. There was a conversation uh, that then happened. And then our, our friend Nancy Luna wrote about it for Business Insider. Um, and uh, it, it's all pretty interesting for a number of factors. I mean, the first is that uh, robot, I would never expect Chick-fil-A to pursue robots. Chick-fil-A, the company that is so committed to hospitality. Uh, and this was, you know, those, you know, you, we've all seen these robots by now that just kind of drives over and delivers your tray to you. Um, but a friend of mine who used to be an operator for Chick-fil-A commented as well on this, that he said, you know, breakfast is totally dead uh, inside the restaurant, that dine-in is like a ghost town during the morning day part, but the drive-through is still massively popular. And that he's not surprised to see this happen because um, you have to re reallocate your labor to the drive-through. And if there's barely anybody in the dining room, then what's the harm in having a robot do it? I bring up that story mostly to say I was surprised to see Chick-fil-A go in, the, by the, in this direction with robots. However, you can see that everything they're doing is, is, is trying to solve for 
the uh, you know ebb and flow of traffic, and they are unique in the restaurant industry in how much traffic they have to serve and where they have to serve them, whether in the dining room or around the drive-through, mostly through the drive-through. And so technology is solving that for them. But I'll be curious to see if that robot test goes any further, because again, it doesn't strike me as being very Chick-fil-A, the company. The robot is not saying my pleasure, you know what I mean? And by the way, this thing was called Wally. It literally said Wally on there. I'm like, does Pixar know about this? Because, uh, and if you're going to name the thing Wally, I sure hope that thing is going to talk to you like Wally. Wally's a uh, one of my favorite movies. So um, anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole. Point is, is, um, you know, that's technology continues to solve for these things, but how do you incorporate it in the proper way to your brand so that it doesn't really detract from what your, your typical brand experience and promises? That's something that Chick-fil-A, we're watching them actively try to figure out. I'm getting so animated that I'm just whacking my computer as I talk <laughs> about this. Well, you do love Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A does that in me. I do love Chick-fil-A. I don't know. I, Sorry, I just love Chick Fil A. What's your order from Chick Fil A? <sighs> um, just a bottle of Chick Fil A sauce. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I do get lots and lots of Chick Fil A sauce because it is. I just it's so good to me. I don't know. I I am a pretty typical number one kind of guy. Um, however, I have probably ordered more their Southwest salad. Uh, instead Ooh. of the number one, because Chick Fil A is actually my go-to healthy order. Um, even though I get it with a side of like three Chick-fil-A sauces, which is probably right. not healthy. <laughs> we went to a work event last week and one of our colleagues and I went to Chick-fil-A because we were starved. I can we guess just... who that was. <laughs> fellow Chick-fil-A fan. <laughs> we had just walked five and a half miles and we were both hungry. So I went to Chick-fil-A. I got the nuggets and a medium fry and sauce, a lot of sauce. And it was incredible. It was it's so just kiss. Yeah. Anyway, and, this is not a Chick-fil-A. Anyway, this is not a Chick-fil-A Chick stand pod. No, but it is a Taco Bell stand pod, and we're going to start talking about that now. All right, <laughs> here we go. Take it away. <laughs> like, oh, I don't go to Chick-fil-A. I feel left out. I can talk about Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Taco Bell, um, now that Taco Tuesday is not trademarked by Taco John's anymore, I'm saying taco a lot, and it's really confusing me. But now that Taco John's doesn't own the trademark for Taco Tuesday. Taco Bell is really seizing on the opportunity and is teaming up with a bunch of Mexican restaurants across the country to celebrate Taco Tuesday. Um, but Taco Bell got some negative responses from, you know, taking on Taco John's, which is a 400 unit brand um, and kind of bullying them into it. And that's what the Taco John's CEO said at the time. Um, and I think Taco Bell was kind of looked at as the bully. They didn't, they created a signature for all the people to say, we, we want Taco Tuesday everywhere. And it did not get nearly the response that regular petitions from Taco, Taco Bell get. So it seems like the crowd wasn't into it either. What do you guys think now that they're actually unveiling this new uh, campaign? My first thought was I, and I've kind of been saying this all along, but I am desperate to peek behind the curtain and know how much of this they had already planned out when they filed that petition. Because while, yes, that was, I think, in May, um, it was around the time we were going to Chicago was when all of this started happening. So that's like my time marker. It must have been May. <laughs> um, and it's September. It feels like it's been a very long time. But something like this, like, you know, I mean, 
They've you said it. They've got twenty thousand local Mexican restaurants across the country participating. Something like this takes a lot of time and energy to put together. And I want to know if this was—I don't even want to say end game. I don't want to know if this was the end game all along because I would imagine there's so much more that's going to happen that we haven't even fathomed yet on our side. But I am dying to know how much of this they had already planned out when they started the Taco Tuesday petition. I mean, I could ask, but my, uh, which yes, good plug. He's got to be there. You can ask him anything you want. I am, uh, not sure despite what Sam said on Instagram that he is going to share all of Taco Bell's secrets. And that's right, Sam. I watch your content. <laughs> hey, I mean, I don't know. 20 minutes. We can get through the, I'm just going to, my, my one question for Sean is give me all your secrets. I mean, great. <laughs> Um, anyway, the, the, but the point of all that is that this is a really impressive campaign. Like this, I can't imagine the amount of effort that this, I mean, you want to talk about Chick-fil-A's engineering team. I want to know who at Taco Bell was reaching out to all these independent local Mexican restaurants across the country and getting them on board with this campaign. And it does, you know, it kind of, I mean, I'm one of the people who thought Taco Bell was being a touch of a bully this summer. Um, it, so it's a good look for Taco Bell to support, you know, small independent restaurants. I mean, there are chains on here too, but like to, you know, none obviously as big as Taco Bell. So it's a good look for them to run a campaign like this on their Taco Tuesday, uh, trademark freedom so yeah it's amazing the goodwill they've earned through this whole thing right because you're you're right leanne that like when this first kind of came out i was like all right taco bell calm down a little bit but you know as this all progressed it's it's just incredible to think taco bell really came out the winner in so many ways for this whole taco tuesday fight because again of this goodwill that they've earned along the way i mean even when them and taco john's who had very strong words to say about Taco Bell, including calling them a bully. Um, you know, when they sort of settled this, so to speak, they uh, donated to CORE, the charity, uh, as part of it. There was, you know, it was it was a nice sort of friendly way to wrap that up. And then here with the, the progression of this, again, it's sort of Taco Bell earning some goodwill. Um, you know, Taco Bell is, is uh, you know, much like Chick-fil-A is master of the operation. Uh, Taco Bell is master of the marketing and they just know how to be a brand of the people in a way that I don't think anybody else does. Uh, you know, they, they understand how to tap into the zeitgeist, how to really read the temperature in the room and respond to it in a way that's going to benefit their business. Certainly for the last, I mean, I think for the last 10 years or so, Taco Bell has, has had barely a, uh, a blip. I mean, it's been all wins for the most part. Um, and and you're right, Leanne, that it, it it's there's a lot of this that seems to be very scripted in a way that is just impressive because um, they had to have had a backup plan in case Taco John's dug in. Uh, and I'd be interested to know what that was. Maybe the 20,000 Mexican restaurants, maybe it would have been a protest. I don't know. Um, but, but it is all the more, um, very interesting. And if I were to offer my takeaways, cause that's something I do, you know, my takeaway from all of this would be to, you know, recognize as a restaurant company, what does your customer want? 
and recognize that your customer doesn't only want your brand. Your customer is shopping around to lots of different restaurants. Their consideration set is probably pretty broad. And they're looking for somebody that meets their needs, their wants and needs, uh, not just you know what's in it for you as a restaurant company. And as much as you can play ball with the rest of that consideration set, and as much as you can be a part of a conversation in a way that again brings that goodwill, uh, it's going to come back. You know, things will come back to to um, to benefit you in the end. I think so. Um, it's it's a marketing masterclass. I think coming from Taco Bell and all of this. I mean, I could picture a lot of brands thinking that this was such a good move on their part, that they were being so generous and so kind to include all these restaurants. And I think that that's kind of what Taco Bell is looking for. They, they weathered the storm of Taco John's um, and now they're sailing through. I mean, it's like you guys said, they, they aren't capitalizing on the fact they were bullied. They're capitalizing on the fact that here we are uplifting so many restaurants, um, which I mean, kudos to them. It's a good move, but uh I wonder how it's actually going to play out when it all goes down. All right. So next topic, our final topic. Aren't you guys excited? You guys are both on mute. Yay, so nobody knows that you're excited, yay, yay. but you're definitely excited. <laughs> all right. So the Toast CEO stepped down and they got a new CEO, which is interesting in light of the fact that they um, introduced that 99 cent fee, which was very controversial and then took then they dug their heels in with a statement and then they took it back. Um, so very curious to hear what you guys think about the future of Toast with this new leadership and if they're going to try and get because they were doing it to, you know, help restaurants allegedly that they were going to make new software that was going to make it better for everyone. I mean, what do you think the direction of the new CEO is going to be? And do you think the 99 cent fee really buried them? I mean, you know, two things I think to come out straight away. First is there's no indication that this transition was because of the 99 cent fee, although it's easy to make that assumption based on the timing. But they did not say that this is why that's happening. Um, and the second thing to come out of the gate and say is toast is still massively popular. The industry still loves toast. And it's not because of anything related to 99 uh, cent fee and, and, and certainly won't be affected, I don't think, in the long term by the 99 cent fee. It's because of their, it's because of the product. I mean, the restaurateurs I talk to, they just love toast. They have they've experienced several POS uh, providers often. And for them, toast is, is the one they like the best. Now, this is often emerging restaurant brands. That's where toast tends to, you know, it's kind of their wheelhouse. Um, so I think that's important to say. Toast will continue to be very successful. Um, and, you know, they're promoting Aman uh, Narang to the CEO position from it. I mean, internally, he, he's somebody who has, has been with the company. Um, and so that, that mostly goes to say that I don't think the course of this company changes all that drastically. Now, of course, the, the elephant in the room being that 99 cent fee. Um, if you want to talk about a masterclass in marketing from Taco Bell, here's a what not to do uh, for a company. Uh, and and what not to do in a crisis, which is that the the statements that you know, as you mentioned, Holly, they they really dug in. Um, th there are any number of ways in which that decision to do that ninety nine cent fee was the wrong decision. Um, but I think first and foremost, it was wrong because it would ultimately reflect poorly on the restaurants because when a customer orders digitally. 
and then they see a 99 cent fee tacked on, um, they're not blaming toast. <laughs> they're not mad at toast. They're mad at the restaurant. And so that decision toast made seemingly without the input of their restaurant clients, um, was just a, a bad one because it reflected poorly on those clients. Last night, I tried to get tickets to a comedy show. Just a quick tangent. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I bailed after I, so I saw the price of these tickets. And I said, okay, it's a little expensive, but, you know, I'll, I'll spring for it. Uh, you know, I, I, I like him a lot and I, I want to see him live. He's here in Columbus. And uh, when I got to the checkout, uh, there was $85 in fees, 40 X, 40 plus dollars per ticket. Now, because I am a parent of young children, I don't do a lot of, I haven't done a lot of shows and concerts. I haven't bought tickets for anything outside of a movie theater in a long time. Uh, and, and so <laughs> I was flabbergasted and I was like, I bailed. I let, I was like, no way. I'm, and it was, I want to see this comedian very bad, but it's, it's, it's like the principle of not spending $80 in fees that made me decide not to do that. Now that's far cry from 99 cents. However, if you blow that out from all of the restaurant ordering that customers do 99 cents on a $10 order, I mean, that adds up, right? So um, we talked about this on a previous episode, so I don't need to go too far down this rabbit hole to describe how bad of a thing that was for the consumer and how much the consumer ultimately blames the restaurant. So regardless of any kind of extra revenue Toast makes, and regardless of any other products they develop with that revenue, it doesn't matter. The consumer's mad. They have fee fatigue, as we've talked about. They keep getting hit on all sides. Here, pay more, pay more, pay more, tip, tip. You know, I told another story, not, you know, sorry, Leanne, I'll give you a chance to talk here in a second. It gets me riled <laughs> up. When I traveled to Maine a couple of weeks ago, and we were flying back, and we were flying through Newark, and I went through one of these sort of self-serve uh, you know, little corner store things to grab some snacks for the kids. And it was just snacks, not meals, because our kids are strange eaters. $70 for snacks at the airport, at Newark Airport. And the, the machine had the gall to ask if I wanted to tip. And it was self-service. So I'm, I put on my Sam consumer hat real quick here, which is to say, enough already. <laughs> this is insane. And, and, and that's what all the customers think, right? So, so that's just to really illustrate again how bad of a decision that was. Um, but now we're on the other side of it. You, they have this transition, whether or not it's related to that, to that fee. I don't know. But Toast is going to be fine. They're going to get past this. Again, it's in the past. And, um, and I trust with this new leadership, you know, they'll, they'll know which direction to head. And they sure as heck know what not to do in the future. Uh, that somehow is not the first time that I've heard that particular Newark rant from Sam, which is hilarious because it's been like less than a month since you got back from that vacation. <laughs> Still stewing over it. And I know every detail of your return trip and how frustrating it was. Anyway, um, listen, Sam, you were talking about the marketing bungle that was the fee controversy this summer. And I gotta say, this transition feels like almost the same thing in that <clears throat> on its face, this is a very standard transition. The current CEO announced that he will retire at the end of the year. He'll be replaced by an internal promotion. They announced it the week after Labor Day. All of this is incredibly standard. If we hadn't just been covering this controversy this summer, I don't think we would have even covered this story. 
Um, I mean, I was talking to our tech reporter, Joanna, that day, and I was like, hey, are you going to write this up? And she was like, oh, it didn't even cross my mind. And I was like, I think we need to because it's been in the news so much. And that, I think, is where there was a little bit of a hiccup on Toast's side, because as much as this has probably been in the works for a year, if not longer, on their end, everyone's just talking about the fee controversy again now, because they put themselves back in the news. Now, I don't know what there is to do about that. Like, you know, I'm sure short of postponing their current CEO's retirement, there's really no way around it if they wanted to give him his due and, like give his successor, you know, time to transition in. I don't know what other way there would have been to do it, but here we all are talking like, you know, the fee had almost faded from my memory. And now we're talking about it on the podcast again. Um, and they kind of put themselves back in the news with this. Now, again, I don't think another month on the announcement would have made a difference. So maybe they just decided to hold their nose and hope for the best with this. But also, as Sam said, it's toast. Like they dominate at what they do. And so there's no like, you know, there's some ground to lose, but this isn't going to be the thing that tanks them, you know, knock on wood. Uh, so I don't know. That's kind of my take on the whole situation. I mean, I think this is opening up a little bit of a crevice for a new company to sneak in, like a little mouse sneaking through a crevice. Um, but I think it's a chance for another company to really make a move and say, you know, we'd like to be the provider of choice for your POS system. Um, and I think there are a lot of up and coming ones. It's not like we're short of POS systems. So I wonder if one of them is going to take this and run because I could totally see that happening. I mean, it's hard because that's like that's well, first thing I'll say about that is is the POS in particular is a particularly uh, what's the word? I don't know. It's, it's, I know a lot of people who hate their POS and it's not just one provider, right? It's not like one that is typically a bad, bad apple. It's just like a lot of restaurants have trouble with their POS. So one of the things that Toast has been able to do very well, it has been able to address a lot of the issues and concerns that restaurant operators have with their POS in a way that's very favorable to the restaurant. And that's why they've, they've really succeeded. And, and so any up and comer would have to really kind of, you know, they'd have to be able to do the same thing. Um, but last thing I'll say is um, I'd highly recommend uh, you go listen to my latest episode of takeaway or mm, at this point, when you're listening to this, it'll be my previous to that episode. But I did an episode, a conversation with Juwan George, who's going to be speaking at create one of our speakers. So you can come meet him in person and hear more from him. Uh, but Juwan was one of the earliest hires at Olo, and he is now a, an, a consultant and investor through 858 Partners. And he just gave this, inc he, he, we had a really good conversation, and it was about sort of the past, present, and future of technology. And we get into a lot of, you know, the issues that the, you know, restaurant operator has with food service tech providers uh, and how those will be addressed and how it will change in the future. And I think all that's important to this conversation because, Technology more than anything else in the restaurant industry is just constantly changing. So yes, new players will come in and they will try to take market share from the toasts of the world, the Olos of the world. Um, but if you're not able to continuously adapt to what the restaurant operator needs, and if you're not able to continuously play well with other tech providers and integrate and all that stuff, it's, it's, it is a, 
as Juwan kind of explained it, he, it made it kind of sound like a war zone, right? The food service tech world is kind of war zone, a friendly war zone, you know, nobody doing drawing blood or anything, but like it's, it's a battle out there. And, um, and there are dozens and dozens and dozens of companies that have, you know, are out there trying to win the war, so to speak. So, um, so yes, it's, it, it, it's a tall order to try to take market share from a company like Toast, I guess, at the end of the day. Well, guys, I think we've had a wonderful discussion today. I think it was pretty positive. Um, it's what I'm pulling from our conversation. Are we typically negative? Do we, do we get negative? We can, we can be. We can, you can go on a rant, Sam, and it could be decently negative. So I feel like we had a positive it's experience today. And now I'm going to turn it over to Ron, who interviewed Mark Eason, the former Firebird CEO and the current Hickory Tavern CEO, which, by the way, you can read, in, you can read about Hickory Tavern on our website. So thank you guys for joining me. Thanks, Holly. Thanks, Holly. Held October 1st through 3rd in beautiful Palm Springs, California, the Create Experience promises to be an unforgettable three days for growth-minded restaurants. Well, my name is Mark Eason. I'm the CEO of Hickory Tavern. Um, I've been with the company since the 1st of December, and I was with previously uh, Firebirds, Wood Fire Grill, for the past 17 years, the last 12 of those as the CEO, <clears throat> located here in Charlotte. I commuted uh, for 17 years, stayed in a hotel and ran that business. Uh, you know, they had two private equity deals and, you know, Firebirds was pretty much thriving. I had been there long enough where I thought I'd retire and leave the industry. And I found out very quickly that there's only so many episodes of Gunsmoke and Bonanza that you can watch. Um, and, it, you know, I'm just not that guy. I need to move around and be active. You know, an office job was never good for me. And that's why I love the restaurant business so much is that you're active, you're out meeting people, you're doing things every single day. Um, so I was contacted by a headhunter that knew Brad Smith and Tommy Hangar, who were the founders here um, of Hickory Tavern. And they knew me via Dennis Thompson, who was the founder of, of Firebirds. And so being a guy that, you know, I might not have had a permanent residence here, but I spent every week here for the last 20 years. And they were looking for a CEO. So I interviewed with them. I was a regular customer or user of Hickory Tavern when I stayed over at the courtyard. At least twice a week, I would pop in. It's right around the corner. I'd pop in and get wings and nachos, two of my favorite things, um, and be in the Hickory Tavern. So I knew the brand pretty well. And when I heard that they were looking for a CEO, I came down. Um, Rosser Capital is the private equity company that they partnered with and met with Hal Rosser and Jacob out of uh, New York, and they decided to hire me. So I came on board back December 1st. How long were you with Firebirds? A total of 17 years. You Is know, prior to that, oh, go yeah, ahead. prior to that, I was with um, uh, Bertucci's Brick Up and Pizzeria for five years. I was with Lone Star Steakhouse and Saloon when they went public for 10 years. I started off and cut my bones at Steak and Ale the dinosaur steak and ale where a lot of guys my age in the industry started with those guys, right? So did you know uh, Norm Brinker? I met Norman Brinker. He had lunch at my restaurant one day. That was, I still, I'm still nervous thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so what was attractive about Hickory? Well, being in the polished casual segment and really casual dining, I think I saw the opportunity to take this with this team uh, brand to the next level. 
Um, you know, I know why they were they were started. You know, Brad and Tommy wanted a social gathering place where people could come in and watch games, drink cold beers, eat wings, have great food. Uh, it's almost like having a polished casual theme because it's not just a sports bar. It's a sports bar with a little bit more elevated food, right? It's not just, you know, the normal wings you get somewhere and what have you. And when I came on board, I saw the opportunity to really enhance that and make it better because I've done that with our team at Firebirds. We did that, you know, with the chef at Firebirds and some of the culinary people that we had brought on. And I'll talk about them, Pam and Cliff, who we brought on here to help us. Uh, two, two seasoned professionals that have a company out of Orlando, Florida. And I brought them up here to look at it. And so we've revamped our entire menu, which just rolled out yesterday, by the way. And uh, yesterday would be August 27th, given this... Uh, 28th. 28th, yes, excuse me. Yes, sir. So that was Monday, August 28th. That was Monday, August 28th. And we had been planning that since fe February, you know? So you came on in uh, early December and Correct. started planning the menu revamp uh, in February. What are you most proud of on the new menu? Well, you know, we closed the restaurant and spent three months in there with Chef Cliff and two of our seasoned people revamping, looking at everything on the menu. There's not just one thing, but one of the top ones is the wings, for example. Our wings used to take 18 to 20 minutes to prepare. If you came in and ordered wings, the cook time is 18 to 20 minutes, right? And whether it's at lunch or at dinner, that's a long time. Uh, we were just taking wings from the raw state, cooking them in the fryer. And now Chef Cliff, and I'm sure other concepts do it, we did it at Firebirds where they smoked them in advance, but we're, we're cleaning the wings, we're seasoning the wings, we're putting them on sheet pans and we're baking them, and then we portion them. And now we can have wings three different ways instead of just one, one way, and it takes two and a half minutes. Right, so this the execution's faster for the guests, and they taste better. They're so tender and juicy. They're just made the right way. Um, I'll talk about it a little bit, but we hired an outside marketing, creative marketing company called Mez and Pez, and they came up with the the our kind of catchphrase right now is the new menu is the new making it right menu. So what we're doing is we looked at everything, and Chef was great at this, is that we're making things the right way. So I'm real proud of the wings. The other thing is, for example, our mozzarella was just a store-bought mozzarella. You know, those little hot dog looking mozzarella things that are frozen? Yeah. So we're making them from scratch. We're getting into the mozzarella, we're cutting them, we're shaping them, we're breading them, we're seasoning, two-step process. Then you put them in the freezer, but man, what a difference. With a brand new homemade marinara sauce, these things are, you know, stretchy, cheesy, delicious. Um, uh, that looks great, but we've touched on our menu pretty much, except for the pretzel bites, which are a frozen product that were, you know, a product that comes in in a box. We've touched everything. Our, our burgers, for example, were one thick eight ounce patty that took quite a long time to cook. Uh, you're not allowed to get a doneness in North Carolina. It's either, you know, it's 165. So we went to smash burgers, smash, smash patties, two, four ounce patties. And the cook times drop down to just a couple, you know, two, three minutes, and they're delicious. They're juicy, two, double the cheese, double the crust on the burger. Um, so we're real proud of that, too. Uh, fish and chips. We were selling grouper with some kind of a key lime sauce. Now we're a tavern. And so we're selling cod with real tartar sauce. We changed our French fries, for example, to a three-eighths inch cut instead of the half-inch cuts, which not only they cook faster, but... They, 
they stay crispier and they stay hotter longer, so they travel better. And one of the residual effects from us changing our wing cooking process is that 20 minutes in a fryer just pretty much debilitates the oil, the shortening of the fryers. And it, you know, so now that we fix that, it's cleaned up the, the oil in the fryers. Our French fries look and taste better, our fish does, our shrimp. Anything that we put in a fryer now is way better than it used to be. Where do you, um, uh, where do you see uh, the tavern fitting into the market right now? Well, you know, we've been around for 25 years, right? So, you know, I talked to guests in the restaurants. They're not only, they were kids and their parents were bringing them in. And now these are our guests that are bringing their kids into the tavern. You know, and it's kind of just been that family type place in North Carolina and South Carolina that people are used to. You know, in the future, do I picture, yeah, I want to grow the concept, get with an architect. You know, what does a 2023 tavern look like? You know, we're going to have to go through and remodel a lot of our restaurants. Um, they need some refreshing and we're, we're going to get there. We started with the menu, not only the front of the menu, but the back of the menu, the bar. Revamped the entire bar as well. Um, and then the next steps are to, you know, become profitable, you know, build sales, and then let's start growing the concept again. Now, uh, how long were you away from the restaurant industry? What was the time between your leaving Firebirds and joining uh, Hickory Tavern? It was uh, about a year and a half. Did that year and a half give you any perspective on the business? Yeah, it did. I mean, I had time to reflect, trying to figure out what I was going to do that day. Um, you know, I'd go through my office. I still have an office at home, and I'd see all the stuff that we had done over the years. And then I stayed in touch because things changed, right? It's after COVID. I was at Firebird when COVID hit, and we weathered the storm, that team there, in a great manner. Um, not so much, I think, here at Hickory Tavern, not to disparage what happened here, but we didn't come out of it as good as we could have, I think. And so I had time to reflect on those kinds of things. And like, it's always easy to second guess yourself, play Monday morning quarterback and think about what you've done, you would do differently. And, but you know, so coming back in, you get a chance to think about how you could redo things differently the next time. What would I have done different? I get a chance to do that now. Now at uh, 23 units, right? Uh, 21 currently. 21. Uh, that gives you time or, I guess, space to do a lot of work with the tech stack. That was really important for folks during the pandemic. Are you planning to look at the uh, technology? Yeah, we are. And, you know, we've got, you're talking about fishbowl or punch or something like that. Yeah, we, uh, our current tech stack is with punch and utilizing a surprise and delight platform. I guess uh, something that we did during COVID was actually evaluate the tech stack that wasn't currently in place and worked up until about the point that Mark came here. Uh, we redid our tech stack and that's everything from integrating POS, dynamic codes, uh, a loyalty platform that's not necessarily an app for us, but a different way for our guests is surprise and delight. Um, integrating the SMS um, marketing as well and tying that in with our fan club. So we have what we call a fan club. Um, and then additionally, uh, the reporting natures and the, uh, you know integration with the reports as well. So Excellent. And by the way, this is Tammy Lusich, who's our director of marketing. <laughs> Given the that you're returning to the business, what do you see as the best uh, opportunities and challenges in the years ahead? Well, the best opportunities are just, you know, why people get in the restaurant business. You want to serve your guests. It's fun. 
you know, we have a great concept in the fact that it's not just dining. We have an entertainment factor there. There's 30 to 40 TVs in every unit. <clears throat> some nights we have bands. We'll have bingo nights. We'll do some different entertainment um, things on different nights of the week. So it's not just dining. That's a part of it, though. And it's not just a restaurant, but we have a bar, too, you know, as well. So we're going to start focusing more on, on not just the dining and the restaurant part of it, but the bar and the entertainment value. <clears throat> um, we're going to create bar food menus. You know, we just started a brand new happy hour in both North Carolina and South Carolina. We've revamped the entire, we didn't even have our beers on the menu, for example, on our new menu. Now we'll list all of our beers, what's on tap, what's in the cans and the bottles. Our drinks, for example, we've redone all of the, the cocktails. We hired uh, Britain Cocktail out of Tennessee and Stuart Melia, who came in and, you know, for example, our drinks could take up to eight or nine moves to make a cocktail. And now there's only three moves. Same in the kitchen. There, you know, there'll be eight or nine steps in making a recipe. Now it's maximum of four. Four steps to get an entree out so we can do it right, you know, consistent. But that part of it is the positive end on me is that the sky's the limit, you know, how, how much sales can we do? How many people can we fit into a restaurant? The negatives right now are staffing. You know, it's still, it's still a pretty tough thing out there. People trying to get people that want to be in the restaurant business, whether it's at the unit level and their servers and bartenders, et cetera, or managers you know, for that matter, trying to get the right people on board. So we're working real hard and boy, we've got them too. They're coming in, you know, we just have to train them, uh, get them in place, but that's probably the biggest hurdle right now. I think to real quick, to go back to the tech stack thing, I think a good correlation and tie into what we've done now is we have the ways to meet people, but now we have the right message, the right food, the product we're proud of, right? We're rekindling kind of the the relationship with the past uh, customer and and reigniting the loyalty with the current guests, right? And then attracting the new people. And we have the the tech stack and the technology to continually grow and reevaluate. But now we've got the right people, the right product, the right leader, the right food, the right bar, and it just feels great. Uh Mark, uh, how about uh, what uh, the typical demographics for a customer for the Hickory Tavern? Is that changing at all? I don't think it's changing. You know, my perception is that it was mostly male. I'd even said that when we were having some of our marketing things that it's not. There's a lot of females that come in. The age variance, it goes from probably the early 30s into the 70s and 80s. You know, there's a wide range variety of people that come in at different times of the day, whether it be at lunch at the happy hour time uh, for dinner with families and then later on to come in and see some games or have, you know, a late night snack or what have you. So that that's, uh, you know, so it, it's a big gamut that we're, we're, we're trying to market to. I have not been to a Hickory Tavern, but what is the general square footage and seating for average unit? Yeah, probably about 200 to 250. The square feet probably ranges anywhere from 6,000 to 8,000 square feet. We've got a couple of big ones. We've got a couple of little ones. And we want to set up the prototype to where, you know, can we do this in a 5,000, 500 square foot building? I think we can. You know, smaller footprint, you know, that still has a lot of space available to watch some TVs, to see some entertainment, and to have a good dining experience. So, that's where we're going to we're going to see if we can do that. We we did that at Firebirds, for example, went from an average of sixty five hundred or sixty seven hundred square feet to a five thousand square foot unit, fifty two hundred, and they still did the same sales. 
Uh, you mentioned uh, staffing. Is there a person, uh, a type of person who is attracted to the hospitality industry? Well, you would, you would think there, there would be, you know, it kind of seems like sometimes the restaurant in industry is a fallback on some people that are, you know, they tell you how well, I've always wanted to be in the restaurant, you know, hospitality industry, but I think it gets in your blood. You know, you can be, what's great about this concept is you're not doing the same thing every single day. You're doing the same thing every day, but you've got 300 different guests that are coming in, so it makes it different. You know, it's not exactly the same. Yeah, you're serving lunch and yeah, you're serving dinner, but you get to interact with people, you get to talk to them. Um, and there's a lot to run in a restaurant, you know. It's it's a complicated uh, business for general managers and our district managers, our regional managers, they get through a lot, you know, to ensure the high quality of food and the, you know, the upbeat um, service that we want to give. But yeah, we want people, we'll teach you how to run a restaurant and be business savvy. We want somebody that's friendly hospitable, right? And the, the work hours have changed over the years. You know, now you used to think restaurant managers work 70, 80, 100 hours a week or whatever. It's a 50, 55 hour work week now. Two days off a week, two or three weeks a year on vacation. And, you know, we want you to get your time off and get out of the restaurant. If you're working over a 10 or 11 hour day in the restaurant business, it's pretty good. I think five days a week. Has uh, given your long history in the business, and you've been with Firebirds, which was really a growing concept. Where do you see Hickory Tavern's future going? Yeah, I think I think we can do the same thing. So once we've uh, corrected our path, right, this new food, this new management, this new outlook on how we run and operate the business, um, I think that, you know, I'm gonna get with the architect here. We're gonna design the building. I've already got real estate um, people on board wait, waiting for us to just pull the trigger and say, hey, we're gonna start growing and finding a really good location. And I, you know, I, I still see this concept because think about how many sports bars there are. You know, I don't wanna name them, but just in this area alone, I'm looking at one right out my office window. We have one right down the, the street. They're pretty predominant, you know, and still, there's new ones still popping up even. You know, if you think about that niche in, in that industry, there's still a lot of new new concepts that are coming on board. <clears throat> we have a good name and a good reputation. I think we just need to hone in on that. Get back. Yeah. Where are your, uh, I lived in Charlotte before I moved to Dallas. Where are your offices? Uh, we're right at Valentine. The, it's, it's in between like South Park and, and Sun Valley. Um, the, the Valentine Corporate Office Park, there used to be a lot more people here than before COVID, but it's a great office complex. We're in a, um, a center that's, we're right in the middle of where all of our restaurants are in the North Carolina market. So we're centrally located. We've got a few restaurants in South Carolina, but think about the white space we have, you know, to move on to different states. And we still have white space in North Carolina and South Carolina. So, so we could grow, you're in you know, in those markets. Go yeah, ahead. You're in the two states right now? Uh, the yes, Carolinas. Sir. Yeah. Well, I hope you don't get any hurricane impact. Yeah, right. Yeah, with us too. I've, I've been through a couple of those in Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Uh, well, uh, and last question, what are you most excited about uh, returning to the role of uh, CEO? Well, you know, the, working with the people at the home office, we have a good team. Like you see Tammy here is in marketing. We've got a good CFO. We've got a good purchasing. You know, all the people there, 
it's a common goal, I think, for everybody on that team to work with the regional managers and the GMs to have them look at things a different way. And it's not just the same old, same old that we've been doing for 25 years. Let's do it a little bit different. Let's shake things up. You know, some of our guests might be a little unhappy that we took off a certain menu item. And if we did that, we replaced it with something that's even better. And we've even had, just in one day, we've had, hey, I, I can't believe you took off the chicken and rice, but I tried this new Caprice, the new Capri chicken, and it was fabulous. You know, so, you know, we're going to have to go through some of that a little bit, you know, with the guests. But it's just invigorating, exciting to see that our changes take place and hopefully uh, create positive results. Uh the first uh, Hickory Tavern opened in 97? Yeah, in, in Hickory, North Carolina. That's the name. That's the name. That makes sense. Yes, sir. <laughs> you shed yeah. the scales from my eyes on that. Uh, yeah. Do you think the brand uh, can gr grow beyond the Carolinas fairly easily? Yeah, I think it can if we, you know, select the right locations. And, and you know, one of the I don't think it's a misnomer, but one of the things that's always said in the restaurant industry is they grew too fast, you know, and people, you know, they grow fast and you lose sight of the culture and maybe you don't have, you know, the responsibility of ensuring that you have great food and great service. So if we take our time and do it a couple of stores, you know, to start off with maybe, you know, one, two, three stores the first year and two, three, four the second year, we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll take it easy and, and grow within our means. If you grow too fast, then it can be a problem. Mark, what question did I not ask you that you would like to answer? Um, I'd really like to give a shout out to um, Shaping America's Plate is the name of the company. Um, Cliff Plow is our chef, and Pam Smith is a chef nutritionist. And, you know, they, I worked with her at Firebirds, and she did a great job for us. So coming on board and them coming in and looking at the restaurants the way they were in January, December, and saying, hey, what can we do to reinvigorate this? They've been great partners. I mean, side by side, every step of the way. And we're really, really proud of the food that we have. So I don't know if you didn't ask the question, but just knowing that that has been our main focus, right? To, you know, execute well on the bar side and the food side. I feel like you're, he helped change the culture a little bit in the kitchen. I mean, they're becoming chefs and all that. And I think it's been really exciting to watch the way he makes people feel extra proud of where they work and who they are and what they're doing. And Mark's done a really incredible job of bringing that culture to this company. Excellent. 